Let's go now to God's Word. Matthew 13, 31-32 He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. She was born to an 18-year-old mother in a poor town in Mississippi in January of 1954. Uh, The house she grew up in had no electricity and no running water. Uh, It was not unfamiliar for her to go outside to the outhouse that was on her property. She grew up dirt poor. Uh, She had some rough patches, some extremely rough patches growing up in her life, including some physical sexual abuse. In the fifth grade, she said, uh, she recalled the story and recounted the story of being raped in the fifth grade. And she thought every day of the fifth grade that she was actually pregnant because of that abuse. And it would actually happen in, uh, at, at 14 years old, she would actually be impregnated by an abuser. And at 14 years old, she would give birth to a child and this child would die. This child would pass on. Uh, Her father pulled her to the side and said to her at 14 years old, This is your second chance. This is a, a new opportunity for you. And she would grab hold of that new opportunity. She would really grab hold of that second chance. So much so that she would become one of the most famous TV personalities even of our day today. We know her as Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Oprah Winfrey has, she's come from rags to riches. Here she is, one of the most wealthiest and one of the most powerful women of our day. Oprah has given away her wealth to millions. Uh, She's the kind of person, we watched her show, she would give away gifts at a whim. And you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car. That was the story of Oprah Winfrey. Uh, But not just that, she's a pretty serious philanthropist. Uh, Oprah started a school in South Africa for for women who didn't have access to education. And she said uh, she wanted to do for young girls who didn't, uh, those things that she didn't have the opportunity to take part of. Uh, She's given Christmas gifts to children that had needs. She's fed the hungry. She's given away millions of dollars. Uh, Here she is from a poor town in Mississippi. She goes to the primetime spot in TV. Uh, Here she is from stories of abuse uh, to blessing millions of people. She is the epitome of the rags to riches kind of story. Uh, The great poet Drake said it this way, started from the bottom, now she's here. It blows my mind to think about a person going from rags to riches. 
Oprah's story is a story of humble beginnings. And when we come to our text this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see a story of humble beginnings. We're going to see two couple, a couple main ideas this morning. We'll see that the kingdom starts small, but yet it is alive. And secondly, we'll see that the kingdom points to beauty and hope. We've titled this message, Humble Beginnings. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you love us. And we've sang about that love that you have for us this morning. Thank you, Father, that you hear us. We've corporately prayed to you this morning. Thank you, Father, that you receive us back like the prodigal sons and daughters that we are. And we've confessed to you this morning. But now, God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us understanding? Father, would you pull us out of the depth of our sin? And would you reveal your matchless grace to us? God, would you have your way this morning? I I pray that you would move me aside. that, That your will would be done here this morning. Lord, we need a word from you. Uh, There's so many things that I can say in my own strength, God, but we need to hear from you this morning. So would you allow us to encounter all that you are and all that you've done. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we're, we're continuing our series on the kingdom of heaven. And we've defined the kingdom of heaven as this. The kingdom of heaven is as the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. The kingdom of heaven, the the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. Jesus taught his disciples, pray like this. The kingdom, that thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea there is that followers of Jesus would actually uh, be a part of the renewing and the healing God wants to do on earth. That God wants to do even in our city. And we've said that the reality of the kingdom points to a king who is in control. And I love this because what this tells us this morning is that we are not left to our own devices. God doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. And, and some of you have, have been adopted and, and maybe you felt like you, you've had a hard time in your life and you felt like uh, your, your parent left you to fend for yourself. God doesn't do us like that. He's in control. And that's one of the things that we see throughout this entire kingdom theme is that there is a very real king. And we've said that the parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. We've said that uh, we've talked about the kingdom and uh, we're talking about God's future entering into the present. The kingdom is heaven arriving on earth. And that's what Jesus does with the parables. It is taking these uh, heavenly principles and using earthly language to clarify things for us. Jesus says in Matthew 13 that the point of the parables are, get this, to make known the secrets of heaven. He tells his disciples, you understand, but there are some who have eyes and they cannot see, and there are some who have ears and they cannot hear. They do not understand. You do, disciples, but there are some that don't. 
So I want to use the parables to clarify things, to make clear uh, what's muddy. In fact, the idea of the kingdom of heaven was a primary part of Jesus' message and ministry. He came in the Gospels announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. This is the very thing that we've said that God Jesus killed. See, Jesus' announcement of the kingdom was his announcement of his intentions to deliver the oppressed and to bring salvation. So just imagine if somebody walked into this room right now and they began to yell with a loud voice that I am the one who will deliver and I am the one who will free the oppressed. We would look at them like they are crazy. So Jesus comes on the scene and all throughout the Gospels he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the, in the, in, in the Gospel and they killed him for it. For such crazy claims. Jesus was saying that He is the saving and the delivering power that the oppressed were looking for. Do you feel oppressed this morning? Believe in the gospel of Jesus. Do you feel weighed down? Believe in the gospel of Jesus. Jesus brings His gospel that it may free us. Jesus knew that the coming of the kingdom was a future event, yet a present reality. Theologians Stason and Gushi write in their book, The Kingdom Ethics, they write this, that God's reign has been inaugurated in Jesus Christ, but its ultimate consummation remains a future event. And we feel that, don't we? We feel that many times that God is in control. We, we, we feel His control, but yet we feel that the kingdom is something future because we still struggle. And, and we still feel the effects of our own sin. But it's present reality, and yet it's future in the same breath. See, the kingdom of God is God's performance in which we actively participate. This is not just about God's doing. Yes, it is about God's doing. But it's not just about God's doing. And and it's not just about man's doing. But they both work in concert with one another. That's the kingdom. It's God and man working in concert with one another. Last week we saw the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And we said that there's a real enemy who wants to destroy kingdom work. And we pointed that we pointed out that there's a real difference between wheat and the weeds. And there's a genuine difference between those that have trusted in Jesus and those that have not. And we need to remember that this morning. Because the reality is just going to church is not what Jesus asks of us. Going to church or doing good things is not just what Jesus asks of us. He asks for our allegiance. He asks us for our devotion. He asks for our trust. One of the things we need to understand is that the mustard seed parable teaches us that the kingdom starts small, but it's alive. The kingdom starts small, but it's alive. Look at verse 31 with me. It says this. He put on this parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
the beginning of verse 32 says, It is the smallest of all the seeds. Now, Jesus isn't making a case that the mustard seed is the, the, the smallest scientific seed you can ever find. But, but you need to hear, it's just a very small seed. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Uh, see, the seed represents humble beginnings. The seed is where it all begins. It's so easy to look past the seed. But the seed represents the disposition to grow. The seed represents potential. A great deal of potential at that. The idea of the mustard seed in our parable points us to the message and the ministry of the gospel. See, with the seed, there is this expectation that comes for growth. The seed may be small, but the seed is alive. Like the mustard seed, God has sown good news of Jesus. He's pointed us to the reality that Jesus has done for us what we could not begin to do for ourselves. Jesus put himself on the line and he took the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. And Jesus is saying, here's this seed. He's giving us the the ministry of the gospel and he's giving us the message of the gospel. This seed... And what we know from the parable of the sower, what we know is that this seed will not fall on good soil all the time. And there's only a fraction of of us who who will take hold of this seed and, and hold it dear to our hearts and to give our allegiance and our devotion to the message of the gospel. There's only a fraction who will actually do that. But Jesus is saying, here's something small, don't look over it. Something that has extreme potential to grow. Something that that has the disposition for change and for growth. It's the message of the gospel. The, The idea of the kingdom is God actively intervening on behalf of his people. And that's the, the, the seed message, this small message that, that Jesus is pushing in front of our faces this morning. That he has the disposition for growth. That the message of the gospel is this seed. And you and I get this. We need this message. We, we, we ought to hunger and thirst for this message. What Jesus is helping us to understand is that we cannot get the benefits without coming face to face with the seed of the gospel. There is no way for us to pass this step. There's no benefits of the kingdom without the seed of the gospel message. And what Jesus is showing us is that each of us will have to come face to face with this truth and either we we will reject it or we'll, we'll take hold of it. Either we'll see the the, the serious beauty. Either either we'll see the weight of the gospel message that Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. That Jesus took my sin upon himself. That Jesus did not say no to death, but he said yes to death. And he did that out of love for me. Either we will take a hold of that message or we will reject it and push it away. And what Jesus is saying is that it starts small. 
But yet it has extreme potential to multiply. I love what Jesus did with his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And what Jesus was telling them, he's telling them to take this seed of the gospel and move forward in gospel ministry. And some folk will not take hold of it and some folk will embrace it. But I'm calling you to take this message anyway. And Jesus is telling us through this parable that there's there's potential for growth in this gospel message. It has the disposition to grow. It has extreme potential. See, Jesus' message in Matthew is to the church. Jesus knows that the church of Jesus is the first fruits of the gospel. Jesus knows that the seeds of the gospel is planted and the church is a part of bringing the kingdom. What does this mean? Jesus in the gospels declare the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But he also spent time with tax collectors. He he also spent time with prostitutes. Jesus spent time with the outcasts. He spent time with the lowest of low. He spent time, if there were a caste system in Jesus' day, that they would be the ones on the lowest caste system. And he spent a significant amount of time, and and people would see Jesus' ministry, because it was not just a, a ministry of word, but it was also a ministry of deed. Here he is, healing the sick. The lame would begin to walk and the blind would begin to see. And Jesus spent a significant amount of time with the broken. What does this tell us? It tells us that the kingdom, this gospel seed, is not just about a message, although that's incredibly important. But when the message transforms us, we go on mission for him. We go into our city and we work and we we ought to have time in our calendars for the broken. We ought to have a significant amount of time for the outcast. There ought to be time scheduled in our calendars for the fatherless. There there ought to be time scheduled in our calendars for those addicted and those living on the streets. This ought to be our mission as, as well as it was Jesus. Jesus is showing us that... That the seed of the gospel is a gospel message, but it also it's also gospel ministry. He spent time with folk that we often shun. Jesus spent a significant amount of time with folk who would probably never step foot in a church. And that is exactly what we ought to be pulled into. And we ought to see that this small yet alive message is for us to take hold of, but it is also for us to go on mission that the kingdom might come in Memphis, Tennessee, that the kingdom might come in downtown church just as it is in heaven. That's the goal. That's the work before us. And Jesus says this mustard seed is small, but it has the potential to grow. It has the potential to multiply. And that's exactly why this message is given to the church of Jesus Christ. See, it should not just be our goal to add people into this building. But our goal ought to be multiplication. 
that we might take the message of Jesus Christ, that it might transform our lives. We may never be the same again, and that you and I may go forth and make a difference in our city. And what I'm talking about is not just some Oprah kind of philanthropy, but this is through transformation. Because my heart and my life has been transformed, I now go love the outcast of my city, of my neighborhood, of my workplace, of my school, that the kingdom may come in Memphis, Tennessee, just as it is in heaven. That's the goal. And God uses something so small to let us know that this small gospel message has the ability to multiply itself, to expand, and to grow. And we ought to take hold of it. Uh, One of the crazy things about the South to me is there is just this pressure to marry early. I hate that about the South. I mean, and so, you know, at at 22, everybody you you look at or you meet, is that the one? You know, we, you don't even get a chance to learn who you are first before people are pressuring you to get married. And obviously in places like New York and Chicago, this isn't the case. But, but in the South, there's this pressure. And, and, and if you make it to 30 and you're not married, you, you probably have the plague. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, but uh, hear me when I say this. Uh, I'm a proponent for marrying early, and I know my life may not uh, display that, but I really am. I'm against the pressure, though. And it's so crazy to me that um, getting engaged and preparing for marriage, it becomes less about the marriage, and, and in a lot of ways, the ring is the thing. It's the and it's crazy to me because you know in a lot of ways I feel like you're you're actually not getting the ring for the woman you love you're getting the ring for her friends. <laughs> That's kind of jacked up. <laughs> so she can show it off to folk. Uh, but the thing about the ring is, and let me say this too, I feel like God should get an engagement ring as well. That's um, just we just get left out, you know. Uh, Anyway, side note. But it it becomes about this little symbol. The ring, right? It becomes about the engagement ring. And, And if you can't afford an engagement ring, you know, folks are looking at your girl like, bro, are you sure, girl, you want to marry him? Like, come on, it's just a ring. It's just a symbol. It's it's just a little small symbol, but yet this symbol prepares you for something big. This small symbol of a ring, it prepares you, it gets you ready. It, it, It is the doorway to something big. And that's what the parable is pointing us to, that this this mustard seed parable, that the seed of the gospel, the seed of gospel ministry, it is something small, but it is preparing us for something big. It's preparing us for something great. Because it has the potential to, to multiply itself, it has the potential to grow. Are you ready for that?
Have you taken hold of that gospel message that has the potential to grow? And I want to challenge us this morning because so often we take hold of this gospel message and yes, we have been saved from the flames of hell and we are satisfied. But what I see here in the parable of the mustard seed, it's not just about you and I being saved from the flames of hell. It is to transform us and to send us out that we may affect change in our city. That the kingdom may come in earth, in Memphis, Tennessee, just as it is in heaven. And lastly, I know good preachers have three points. I only got two this morning. Lastly, we've got to see that the kingdom points to beauty and hope. Look at verse 32 again with me. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is, as, uh, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus says the seed will become a large tree and the birds of the air will come and make nests in its branches. The idea behind making nests is the idea of living there. It is to it is to make a home, get this, it is to dwell. That's the idea. And this idea of the mustard seed becoming a tree we get this picture of birds making nests. They are dwelling in this new tree. Such a beautiful picture. It's to live there. It's to make a home there. What this tells us is that there is a planned destination. There's a planned place. There's a, there's a planned end. See, Jesus' mission was to point those he came in contact with to his Father because he clearly understood that there was a pre-planned destination. Jesus knew of the tree that would become a dwelling place for those who would trust in him. So he wasn't just feeding the poor for feeding the poor's sake. Jesus wasn't just hanging out with prostitutes for hanging out with prostitutes' sake. But he was doing these things that even the outcast may get this seed of a gospel message and that they may have entrance into this dwelling place as well. And that's exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus is saying that we do not just do acts of justice for acts of justice sake. But even in our acts of justice, our hope is that we may communicate the the most beautiful message of all time. That, yeah, I know you may be having a hard time, and I want to give you a a cup of water in the name of Jesus and a plate of food in the, the name of Jesus, but there is one who loves you. There is one who has died for you. There is one who laid it all on the line on your behalf. And there has to be this towing the tension of both ends. 
and I, and I know, I, I know in your heart that makes you feel uncomfortable because at times it, it makes me feel uncomfortable as well. But if we view the kingdom of, of this, this pre-planned place, this pre-planned destination, and we want to enjoy, we want to dwell in this pre-planned destination, and if we really believe in its beauty, if, if it really gives us hope, don't you think we would share that same hope with other people? Don't you think we would give away that same message that, that may encourage, that, that may bring hope to, to folk that they may live in this dwelling place as well? There's a pre-planned home. There's a, a place that you and I ought to feel compelled to share about with others, but that even in our times of discouragement, we still have hope because there's a home for us. We are not left to our own devices. See, for those of us that have our faith in Jesus, this should encourage us. This should give us hope. But for those of us who do not have our faith in Jesus and we're still trusting in ourselves, this ought to challenge us. Because you ought to be asking the question, do I have a dwelling place? Do, do I have a home? Am I one of those birds that, that will get to make a home in this, this tree of God? And you ought to feel this burden to know if, if you have a dwelling place. Like this parable of the mustard seed is pointing us to. Jesus is saying that there will come a day when those of us that have put our trust in His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we will rest in the branches of the tree of God. We will have hope. We'll have hope. But it blows me away because Jesus doesn't stop there. When Jesus talks about the birds of the air coming to make nests in the branches of the tree... He is drawing from an Old Testament picture in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel we see a prophetic word from the Lord on how He will plant a tree at the top of a mountain. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 23 with me. On the mountain height of Israel will, I, on the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. Get this. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shape, in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. You cannot make this stuff up. I mean, I, I can't make this stuff up. It, 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 it blew my mind studying this. Because what we see even in the mustard seed parable is that there will be a diverse kingdom of every tribe and every nation. There will be every kind of bird there. I'm not making this up. And so what we ought to be working toward here is the kingdom of heaven on earth in Memphis, Tennessee. So yes, it may be messy to be in relationship with somebody that's, con that's completely different than you are. Yes, it may be messy, especially during election time. To be in relationship with somebody who's going to vote on the other side of the spectrum than you. 
But what God is calling us to do is to have a heavenly perspective and to understand that the kingdom of God, the the kingdom of heaven, is this beautiful, diverse place that you and I may take hold of it now in downtown church in Memphis, Tennessee, that we may beg God that His kingdom may come in our church just as it is in heaven. This is it. Are you hearing me this morning? He's called us to see this this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful kingdom, this place in which there will be every kind of birth from every tribe, every nation. And don't you think we ought to long for that right now? Shouldn't we long for the work of the kingdom in our church, in our city? Shouldn't we see something small that begins with the seed? Like the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the gospel and see the potential for it to grow so much so that our churches are radically changed that we may look like the kingdom of heaven. That ought to be the goal. That ought to be what you and I are working toward. I I love watching movies. I love watching movies. But I'm the guy that hates the previews. I just do, y'all. So if I'm at home watching a movie, um, I I hit menu to get past the previews every time. I I really don't want to see the previews. And I hate when they program the DVD so that you can't skip the previews. I hate that. Um, Hit menu and it's like, no. Um, Even when I go to the movies, I, I really, you know, don't like watching the previews. But the previews, they're... This three-minute capturing. It's it's this short uh, capturing of what's to come. It it is three minutes of an hour and 40 minutes or even two hours. They take three minutes and they, they capture what's to come, the coming attraction. And the whole idea of the preview is that you and I, our, our whistles may be wet. And there's been a couple times where I've seen some really good previews, even though I was anxious to get to the actual movie. I've seen some really good previews, and my response is, dang, i got to see that. Because the preview was good. Gave me a clear picture, a window to what was coming. And, and that's exactly what this parable is showing us. It's giving us a preview of the coming attraction of God. It's giving us this this short uh, snippet of the kingdom of heaven. And get this, you and I get to be a part of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. We get to work in our cities. We get to so love those who may seem unlovable. We get to so open our pocketbooks. We get to so give of our time, our talents, and our treasures that the kingdom of God may come in Memphis, Tennessee at downtown church just as it is in heaven. And what God gives us in the parable of the mustard seed is a preview of the coming attraction. Isn't it beautiful? Gives us a preview of the kingdom of heaven. And get this, He welcomes us to be a part of it. 
He welcomes us to be a part of it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you had to do business in your heart, right now today, right here and now, and you've heard the message that there is a pre-planned place for us, is that place, is that pre-planned destination a part of your future? And the only way that we would know is if our faith and our trust has been placed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So in the quietness of your heart, would you just do business with God? Would you meet with Him? Maybe you're thanking Him for His grace on one hand and on the other hand, maybe you're requesting His presence in your heart and in your life. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace upon us. God, I pray this morning that for our church, Lord, for your church. Lord, in a group this size, I'm convinced that this parable is for us. Lord, I'm convinced that there are some of us with eyes, but we cannot see, and there are some of us with ears, and we cannot hear. We don't have understanding. So by your Spirit, God, would you convince us? Would you transform us? Would you call us to yourself? God, would you do work in our hearts? Lord, would you convince us to be on mission for you? God, would you convince us to be a part of your kingdom work, your kingdom mission? Lord, that the kingdom of heaven may come on earth, may come in Memphis, Tennessee, may come in downtown church as it is in heaven. Now, God, we pray that you would bless these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. We pray, God, that you would help us to be generous givers. That the work of the ministry would go forth in our city for your fame, for your glory, for your name's sake, God. Pray, God, that you would multiply them. You know the needs that our church has. You know the needs of our people in this room. And we pray, God, that you would supply every need according to your riches and glory. We trust that you would be Jehovah Jireh for us. That you would provide. God, thank you that you are 
a help to the weary, that you lift the head of the oppressed, that, Lord, you come aside and even carry the downtrodden. So do that. Be those things for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.